My name's Jonathan Romig, and my, my grandmother is Edna Davis Romig. Now, she is a, or she was, a great-great-grandmother. She was a professor of literature of English at CU Boulder. So I grew up in Colorado, and uh, she was a professor out there. And little-known fact, she was actually good friends with Robert Frost. So maybe you have heard of Robert Frost, the kind of the poet laureate, uh, very famous uh, poet. And actually, uh, they met when he came out to see you, uh, Boulder, uh, for a literature conference. And they became friends there, and she invited them up to her home in Estes Park, which has become my childhood home. So I can say, ah, Robert Frost was in the house that I grew up in. Uh, so that's kind of a cool fact. Now, Robert Frost is actually from New England. So he moved to Lawrence when he was 11 years old and grew up in Lawrence. And then he went to Dartmouth College in New Hampshire, and he actually went to Harvard. So that's kind of a cool, cool understanding of who he is. But So most of his poetry is famous for um, kind of describing landscapes, descri describing beautiful nature scenes. And so when you read his poetry and you're reading about some of the nature, you're actually reading probably about New England, maybe someplace that you have actually been or walked. Isn't that cool? Now, one of his most famous poems is the poem called The Road Not Taken. Now, uh, I'm not going to read the whole poem, but I want to read the last three lines of the poem because they're probably the lines uh, you're most familiar with. They're definitely the lines I'm most familiar with, and they really kind of introduce our topic today. So the, here's the, the last three lines. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Now in life, we take roads, we take pathways, we take journeys. Uh, wherever you went to college, uh, wherever you've gotten a job, where you live, that has directed you on a path, kind of a certain life, uh, a life journey. Now whether we realize it or not, we are all on a spiritual journey, on a spiritual pathway. And where we're going is determined by what we believe. What we believe about God, what we believe about heaven, about hell, about spiritual truth. And so the question today is, how do we know that we're on the right path? That we're headed to the right destination, that we're headed the correct way? How do we really know if we're walking with God or maybe our own imagination, something that we have created. So uh, we're going to be looking through Matthew chapter 7. We're going to go back through and read the first couple verses, 13 and 14, where they really tell us that two roads lead into eternity. Two roads lead into eternity, one wide and the other narrow. 13 and 14 say this, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. This is a pretty sobering passage, uh, because it tells us that there is this broad highway, this, this wide path that leads to destruction, that leads ultimately to hell. Now, Jesus talks all about heaven and hell throughout the Gospels. 
He wasn't just a nice guy. He certainly uh, did many good things, but he also talked about heaven and hell a lot and how serious those things are. And the image he gives us here in this passage is of a busy highway full of distracted drivers. Now, I know you all live in New England around Boston, so you have never been on a busy highway full of distracted drivers. But this is the image that Jesus gives us of a broad roadway of people driving, people walking. They're distracted by their families. They're distracted by their friends, by their jobs, by their achievements, by their life dreams, by their bucket list, by all of their goals. Anything, whether it's a smartphone or a whole lifestyle choice, Anything can distract us from this spiritual pursuit of seeking God. And that's not good. And you know what's even more interesting is that the distracted, the distracted is the norm. Most people are distracted. And Jesus says the norm leads to hell. What is regular leads to a bad place. And so we need to turn from that. Where's the hope? Where's the good news? Because the bad news is that the broad way, well, it's easy. It's normal, but it leads to destruction. But the good news is that there is a narrow way. There is a small gate that climbs to eternity, that heads the right direction, that heads to heaven. Now, if we're picturing this busy street full of distracted drivers, the, the correct image that we're supposed to think of is kind of, as you're driving along, you see a small kind of turnoff, and it's just two tire treads that go off into the forest. You ever driven by one of those and you wondered, where does that go? This is the image that Jesus wants to give us, that this path leads off into the woods and through the hills and up into the mountains. And this is not an easy path. There are wolves. There are wild animals. There are people that would seek to distract us off that path, but that is the right path because that path leads to heaven. It leads to eternity. Now, in our verse, it says that this is the narrow gate, the narrow way. Do you know that word narrow is actually a verb? That means it's doing an action. A better way of saying it would be the narrowing gate. And another way that you could translate narrow is to press, to squash, to persecute, or to cause to suffer. See, Jesus is saying that his path is incredibly uh, irregular. It is not normal, and it is full of hardship. It is full of uh, those that want to take you away, that want to persecute you for your belief. See, this pathway is all about believing in Jesus. And there are many that say, no, this isn't the right message. Now, if you look in the Bible in Hebrews chapter 11, so Hebrews is a book in the New Testament, and there's this chapter that's kind of like the Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, if you, have a, uh, you have a Hall of Fame for different sports teams. Well, this is kind of the, the Hall of Fame for uh, Christianity, for uh, believing in God. And it says that the heroes of the faith, well, they were mocked. They were flogged, they were chained, they were imprisoned, they were sawn in two, they were cut with the sword. Doesn't sound very pleasant, not at all. 
Now, our hardships in this life, the persecution that most average Christians face in the U.S., is a kind of cultural uh, looking down upon. It's a culture that really preaches this message, that if you do not do exactly as we say and live as we live, you won't be happy. And that is a really strong message, because we all want to experience happiness. We all want to be happy. But, but Jesus is saying, oh, my road will make you happy, definitely at the end, and as you walk it with me. But it's, it's going to be a happiness, it's going to be a joy that looks different than what the world is tempting you with. And Jesus promises that those few who find this path find everlasting life. See, that's a path that we want to go on. The narrow way is a hard path. It's not easy. There are pressures and expectations that we will not follow Jesus on it, but it climbs to eternity. Johanan ben Zakkai was a Jewish sage, and he lived around the time of Jesus. He lived anywhere between 30 years before the birth of Jesus to 90 years after the birth of Jesus. He's famous because he wrote the Mishnah, so he's going to be famous more in the kind of the Jewish circles. Uh, but he, he helped write the Mishnah, which, was, which is kind of the Jewish oral tradition in written form. So kind of those extra biblical traditions. And he's also famous because he saved many Jewish lives during the Great Jewish Revolt. So uh, there was uh, a kind of a revolt in Jerusalem and Israel that ultimately led to the destruction of the temple, of the Jewish temple in about 70 AD. And he, uh, at that time, went to a man named Vespian, uh, a Roman commander, and kind of talked him out of it. Now, uh, Vespian uh, is Titus, so he became emperor. And yet, so, so Johanan had had like these amazing worldly accomplishments where he had saved people and these were really good accomplishments. But at, at the end of his life, he was actually laying on his bed and he was weeping. And his disciples, his followers came up to him and said, why are you weeping? Why are you crying? And this is what he answered. And it's a little long, but I want you to, to hear what he said. He says, do I then go to appear before a king of flesh and blood whose anger, if he should be angry with me, is but of this world? Verily, I go rather to appear before the king of kings of kings. The Holy One, blessed is he whose anger, whose anger, if he should be angry with me, is of this world and the world to come and whom I cannot appease with words or bribe with money. Moreover, I have before me two roads, one to paradise and one to Gehenna. And I know not whether he will sentence me to Gehenna or admit me into paradise. That's a pretty strong statement. He got to the end of his life and he didn't know if God was going to let him into paradise, into heaven, or sentence him to hell to Gehenna. That's sober. Don't get to the end of your life and not know which one you're going to because the Bible provides assurance. It provides um, a, a complete guarantee that through Christ you can know that you will be in paradise with Jesus the day, the moment you pass. 
Two roads lead into eternity, one wide and the other narrow. Now our next section, our next verses, uh, they focus on those who appear to be traveling on the narrow road. So kind of the first section is, well, how do I get on the road? Then the second section is, how do I really know that I'm on the road? So two types of people go to church, one fruitful and the other rotten. Matthew 7, 15 through 20 says this, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So two types of people go to church, one fruitful and the other rotten. So let's talk by, let's, let's look at the rotten people first. Rotten people attack the truth, and they cannot produce good fruit. Now the images that Jesus gives us in this section are of wolves and also of kind of like foliage, of, of trees, of thorns and thistles and fruits. Now Jesus compares uh, wolves, uh, false prophets to wolves in sheep, sheep's clothing. Now, in the original language, the, the word for false prophet is pseudo-prophetes, pseudo-prophetes. And pseudo simply means lie or falsehood. Now, what do we know about prophets? Prophets are supposed to be this figure sent by God to speak God's truth to his people. So if everyone in the world is speaking lies and you don't know who to turn to, you're supposed to be able to say, I'm going to talk with that prophet, and that prophet is going to give me a message from God that I can trust his word. And yet, and yet, Jesus says that there will be false prophets, people that are speaking lies, that are, who are supposed to speak God's truth, but they're speaking their own will or their own message. So the question is, well, how do you recognize that they're prioritizing their own message above God's? And kind of the key to finding this is the word ferocious. So ferocious means rapacious or a ravenous or a robber. And all the images that we get are of a beast or a person that just wants more. Wants more and more and more. That no matter how much this person is given, they just want more. They're wild animals. So they want more money. They just need more and more money. They want more power. They want uh, more authority. They're greedy. And no matter how much you give them, they're just going to take more. Now, we can look out into the world and we can see examples of this. Anytime you run into something known as the prosperity gospel that says, if you give me your money, God will bless you. That is an example of a hungry wolf that just wants more and more and more money. But we can also see it in other places in our culture. Right now is a very interesting political season. And you can see as people try to use the church to further their own agenda. That is an example of an ungodly spirit. Of a ferocious wolf. See, we have to make sure that the church is ultimately always about Jesus Christ. And it's never used to further anyone's agenda but Jesus' agenda. 
rotten people, they attack the truth, and they cannot produce good fruit. If you look at this passage, it talks about uh, thorn bushes and, uh, and uh, thistles trying to produce grapes and figs. This is a biological impossibility. See, Jesus is saying is if you hope in the wrong thing, if you put your trust in wolves, you will be disappointed because wolves cannot produce good fruits. In fact, wolves can hurt a church. We're a, a, a new church plant, and so we need to watch out. And one of the ways that you can tell if a, uh, if a pack of wolves has gotten into a church is if the church is cold, if it's hollow, if the Holy Spirit isn't there, if it's ungracious and it's oppressive. And this is kind of a tough passage to hear that from. I don't think we're anywhere near that point. I think God is here, God is present, and God is moving. But it's something that as we grow, that we're always going to need to watch out for. Now, one of Aesop's fables, maybe you've heard of him, is called The Wolf in Sheep's Clothing. And this story uh, is a story of a crafty wolf and a watchful shepherd. The shepherd is so watchful that the wolf can't get in to steal the sheep. And so one day the wolf is going along and he spots a sheep's pelt. And so as wolves do, he puts on the sheep's pelt. And that day he manages to get into the herd and eat a little lamb. And that evening he decides he wants more, so he goes into the pen uh, with the sheep to, to eat some more sheep. And that's when the shepherd is also hungry and he takes his knife and he kills a lamb but that lamb actually ends up being the wolf because he wants some mutton. He wants some sheep stew. Now, we believe in a shepherd that is not fooled, that is always watchful, and that promises, promises absolutely that all rotten trees will be cut down and thrown into the fire. That's a challenging statement, but it should also be an incredibly encouraging statement, one that gives us hope because we believe in a watchful shepherd who is watching out for the needs of Cornerstone, a congregational church, of his church at large. Rotten people attack the truth and can't produce good fruit. Now, fruitful people, let's look at the other end, kind of the, the more encouraging end. Fruitful people love the truth and can only produce good fruit. So what's the difference between a fruitful person and a rotten person? It's the heart. It's the core of the person. Now when Jesus says every good tree bears good fruit, he uses two different words for good. So he says every good tree, he uses the word agathos, and then he says will produce good fruit, and he uses the word kalos. Now agathos uh, is a Greek word that really gets at like right characteristics. So he's saying the tree has the right characteristics, characteristics it's functioning well the word kalos tells us about what that fruit produces and that fruit produces not just good fruit the tree produces not just good fruit but it produces beautiful fruit so at gordon conwell when i went to seminary there was this night of poetry and stories and uh and singing and acting and we called that night kalos because it was meant to be a night of beauty <laughs> Now, the ESV really gets at the, the difference between these two uh, kind of words. It says, so every healthy tree, every tree that is good at its core, 
bears good fruit or bears beautiful fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. See, what this is saying is that when Jesus changes our hearts, when Jesus gets into the core of who we are, beauty is going to emanate outward. The message of Christ will radiate organically, naturally through who we are. And we will not only appreciate the truth, we will love the truth. We will love the truth of God's Word, which is the exact opposite of those wolves, of those false prophets. So the next question is, what is the type of beautiful fruit that Jesus is talking about? Is he talking about pears and plums and melons and bananas? Or is he talking about a different type of fruit, a spiritual fruit? So I think he's talking about a spiritual fruit, and we actually read some of the passages earlier in in the service that talked about the types of fruit. Uh, But before we get to Galatians, which is kind kind of the sum of all passages about spiritual fruit, we actually need to look in the Gospel of Matthew to kind of do a survey in this book. Because we see that according to Matthew, fruit is three things. It's repentance of sin, It's public confession of Jesus, and it's understanding and obeying God's message. That according to Matthew, if you narrow it down, that's that's what the fruit is that he's talking about. So first, fruit is repentance of sin. Matthew 3.8 says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So what is repentance but turning from your sin, saying, here's my sin, I need to turn away from it, but not only am I turning away from it, I'm turning to God. That is really what repentance is, saying, I'm going to give all of my life to you, God. You're going to forgive me of those sins and be Lord over every aspect of my life. This is a fruit. This should be incredibly encouraging. So the first fruit is repentance of sin. The second fruit is confessing Jesus publicly. So we see this in Matthew chapter 12, verses 32 through 34. It's kind of a long section. But this comes in the middle of a passage uh, where the Fer- Jesus has just performed a miracle. He has cast out demons, and the Pharisees, who are kind of like the religious elite of his day, uh, they turn and they say, well, you're casting out demons by demons. And Jesus says, well, no, no, I'm not. See, I am, I am God. And as we look at this passage, it talks about those who speak of the Son of Man in a good way. So really it's saying those who can publicly talk about Christ in a way that honors Christ, this is a fruit. So Matthew 12, 32-34 say this, Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you say, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So if your heart is full of Christ, you'll be, you'll, you'll speak truth about Christ. You'll speak of Him in a godly, honoring way. And so some of the ways that we do this at Cornerstone is not only through preaching or through the worship, but we do it through our faith stories. So we, uh, many weeks we have a time where people share their testimony of how Jesus has shown his faithfulness to, to them. That is a fruit. And so when we actually clap for people after their faith story, I think that's a wonderful thing because we're encouraging the fruit in their lives. 
And so if you haven't had a chance yet to share your faith story, I encourage you, come talk to me after the service and we can figure out a time so that you can share your story of meeting Jesus. Another way that we see public uh, fruit is through baptisms, uh, where you publicly acknowledge that you have died with Christ and live again with him. That is a fruit uh, uh, that Jesus is talking about, bearing fruit, and that we should recognize as a community. So when uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ get baptized, we should congratulate them and love them and, and say, this is a wonderful thing. So we're going to have a baptism service on March 12th. Please come back for that. The, the third uh, fruit is understanding and obeying God's message. Now this is a parable, the parable of the sower scattering the seed. And the seed is the word of God, and the different soils are the different people who hear God's message and respond. So here's how the good soil, here's how the good soil that produces fruit responds. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. So third, fruit is understanding and obeying God's message. Here we see God's word being scattered and people understanding God's word, getting it in their heads. But then also that getting in their heads reaches down and it gets into their hearts. And they obey God. They say, I'm not just going to believe you in an intellectual way. I'm going to go out and put uh, your word into my actions as I follow after you, Jesus. So a fruit is simply understanding God's message and obeying God's message. Now, we've looked at Matthew here, and there, there are some other passages in Matthew, but next we can kind of go to the wider scope of the Bible, and we go to the book of Galatians. This is kind of the famous, the fruit of the Spirit passage. So this says, uh, Galatians 5, through 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so as we see these things in each other's lives and in our own lives, we should be encouraged because God is at work in our lives. The Holy Spirit is moving in us. And you know what the, Holy, the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is really all about Jesus. See, Jesus did all these things absolutely perfectly. And so the ultimate way to know that you are bearing fruit is that you're looking more and more and more like Jesus Christ throughout your life. That's really what the fruit of the Spirit is about. Now, as a Christian community, one of our core values is community. Uh, we should be encouraging each other, this fruitfulness in each other's lives. We should be encouraging each other to repent of our sins together. We don't just do it once when we come to know Jesus. We do it continually throughout our lives. We should be encouraging each other to, to talk about Jesus publicly, to understand God's word, and to obey God's word. That's what it means to be a, a, community, a community that follows Jesus. And also part of that is when we see fruitlessness. So we all go through times where we, we, have, we struggle following Jesus or we just find it's harder to obey him. We should be uh, kind of helping each other along the way. We talked about judgment uh, last week and judging each other and how we are to do so carefully. But part of living in a, in a community is, is recognizing those seasons, those dry seasons in each other's lives, and helping each other on the way. Now before we end this section, notice one thing. Notice that Jesus says to evaluate people by their fruits. He does not say to evaluate people by their talents, by their gifting. 
by how well they speak or how well they they sing or play an instrument or uh, can do a certain ministry. He says, evaluate each other by your fruits. And we should should, uh, kind of feel comfort in this because it means you can bear fruit with very little talent. What matters is not how talented you are or not that at all. It's, is Jesus working in your life? And for those that are very talented, remember, it's not ultimately about your gifting. It's about what Christ is doing in you and through you. So two roads lead into eternity. One wide, the other narrow. And two, type, two types of people go to church. One fruitful and the other rotten. Our, our third kind of section tells us that two type of people find heaven but only one will enter. Matthew 7, 21 through 23 say this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Oh, this is a challenging passage every time I read it. So who are these people that find heaven but don't get to enter? Well, they're the religious people. They're the religious people that know the right things to say and the right things to do, but it won't be enough. Because just saying something and doing something, that won't get you into heaven. See, religious people know how to address Jesus the right way. They say, Lord, Lord. If you look in the Old Testament, there's there's an original version that's Hebrew, but then there was kind of a modern version around the time of Jesus that was Greek. And so it translates, the, the Old Testament name for God was Yahweh in Hebrew, and it's translated as Lord in, uh, in the Old Testament. And so if you come up to Jesus and you say, Lord, Lord, it's like you're saying Yahweh, Yahweh. It's saying you recognize that Jesus is God. Well, isn't that all we need to go to heaven? No. No, it's not. That's only part of it. That's, that's saying you believe the right thing, but there's more to it than that. How about if I do all the right things? Well, what if I, what if I prophesy? What if I cast out demons? What if I perform miracles? And we can, tr- we can translate that into kind of our, our modern church talk. What if I do all the right outreach events? What if I serve on the right ministry teams or the, 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 the right, uh, in the right programs? Won't that get me to heaven? No. No, it won't. Because you can know all the right things to say and all the right things to do, but not know Jesus. See, ultimately, Christianity it, it might be in the form of a religion, but ultimately it's all about a relationship. It's all about knowing Jesus Christ. So what's the difference between a religious person and one who gets to enter into heaven? It's a relationship. It's knowing Jesus. Relational people know Jesus, and he knows them, and he will be enough. See, Jesus' last words in this passage, they cut to the heart Jesus says, I never knew you. So what's that word for know? It's not just an intellectual knowledge. It's a heart intimacy. It's a heart intimacy. Matthew 1.25, if you look at it, it's a passage where uh, it says that Joseph did not consummate his marriage 
to Mary uh, until she had given birth. And that word consummate is actually the word to know. See, in its very basic terms, and its very basic form, to know was a Jewish idiom. It was a Jewish expression for sexual intercourse between a man and a woman. And Jesus is saying, do you have a relationship with me that is as deep and as beautiful as a marriage between a man and a woman? Do you know, uh, do, do I know your deepest and your darkest secrets? Have you come to me and said, God, uh, Jesus, I, I'm willing to share every single aspect of my life with you. I give you my money. I give you my family. I give you my marriage. I give you my future. I give you every single part of me. See, Jesus doesn't say, you know, you didn't know me. He says, I didn't know you. Do you let Jesus know you? Does he truly get who you are? It takes time to build a relationship. One of the ways we do that is through a church community. Other ways you can build a relationship with Jesus is through taking time to get to know him, through studying God's word, through praying, through praying, through bringing yourself and your family before him and saying, know me, know me. I need you to know me. And I want to know you as well. Is Jesus a stranger that you don't really trust? Or is he more like a good friend that says, oh man, I know you. I know you. I really know you. That's the type of relationship that we want with Jesus. And see, the only way that we can ever bear fruit is by knowing Jesus. He's the one that produces fruit in our life. We see this in John chapter 15, verse 4. He says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. This is just Jesus saying to his followers, you have to abide in me. And I have to abide in you for you to produce fruit for you to be able to repent, for you to express your faith, to you obey, for you to obey my word and to understand my word and to become more and more and more like me every day. See, the invitation is this. It's come and walk a narrow path, but it's come and walk a narrow path with Jesus. Come and walk a narrow road with Jesus. See, the only reason that we can enter heaven is because Jesus is leading us there. See, Jesus, at the end of the day, he is our pathfinder. He walked this path into eternity so that you and I could walk it. He walks it perfectly. So if you put your faith in him, it's as if you walked the path absolutely perfectly, never taking a step off the side, never disobeying God. That's how God sees you if you trust in Jesus, Jesus is our pathfinder, but he's also our wolf slayer. He defeated Satan. He defeated death on our behalf at the cross. He's our pathfinder. He's our wolf slayer. He's our fruit grower. He's the one that produces fruit in our lives. But in order to do this, Jesus can't just be your Lord. He has to be your lover. He has to be someone that knows you at the, at the core of your being. Invite him in. Invite him to know you. Is Jesus your Lord? Is he your lover? Does he know you? Maybe you're a thorn bush. 
Maybe you're someone who's sitting here and you're like, I don't really believe this. I don't, I don't trust in this Bible. I don't trust in this message. But I am interested to learn more. This is an opportunity to invite Jesus to say, Jesus, you come and you reveal yourself to me because I, I just simply can't meet you. It's not in my power. It's not in my ability. I am so a, a thorn bush at my core. Well, Jesus can take a thorn bush and wear it as a crown. See, Jesus wore a crown of thorns at the cross. He can take the hardest of soul, the stoniest of heart, and make it into fruit, transform it into something beautiful. Christianity is a hard path. It's full of trouble, but Jesus is our trailblazer. Come and walk that narrow road with Jesus. So at the beginning, I, I shared Robert Frost's poem with you. And so the question is, is are you going to take the normal path, the wide path, the path trodden by many, many people, or are you going to take the path less trodden? Are you going to take the trail in the woods with Jesus? Two roads diverged in the wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Come and walk the narrow road with Jesus. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that Jesus has invited us to walk with him down this narrow trail. Help us do this. Help us to honor you with our lives. And if there's anyone here that doesn't know you yet, Lord, today be the day that they begin their journey. Their journey down the the trail in the woods, through the hills, and into the mountains of eternity, into heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.